Local sports. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Hour number two here on a Tuesday. Trent Condon back with you. It's Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Ken in Vegas. He'll be back on Monday with you. Solo here for the next couple of days. And Emery Songer, he will be with us on Friday running the ship. Right now, we're going to turn our attention over to the Iowa Hawkeyes. We've talked to a lot of Iowa State earlier in the program today. Michael Swain from 24-7 Sports. He joined us. We go back to 24-7 Sports Go to the Hawkeye side of things. It's David Eicholt with us once again. David, been a couple of weeks. Thanks for popping on with us once again. Spring practice in the rearview mirror. It looks like Iowa's basketball roster is set. What do you got? A little baseball going on and getting ready for recruiting, right? Yeah, still a busy uh, season ahead. Obviously, the great news about recruiting is the dead period ends June 1st after I think it was about 15 months Jeez. of uh, dead space. So, you know, the Iowa coaches are happy about that. They'll be hosting some camps. And obviously, they'll have their big uh, big recruiting weekend when they bring in some of their top prospects. So, still going to be a fun summer. And, you know, thankfully, we're seeing some sort of normalcy. And there won't be another recruiting class that has to uh, decide on their future home without actually seeing the campus. I, I, I wish 2021 upon no other recruit. I mean, I can't imagine going, you know, going across the country sending my kid across the country without even having the opportunity to see campus. Yeah, it's a really difficult circumstance, and I think that goes hand-in-hand hand a little bit with what we're seeing, of course, the opening up of the recruiting of the transfer portal, and because of that, a lot more guys that maybe wouldn't be involved, they just didn't know, didn't have that. I think it will slow down. Are we, in your opinion, are we trending, though, that this is going to raise every single year, that the transfer portal, both football and basketball, more kids are going to join it every year, or... Are we already getting to that kind of peak point, and maybe it'll start to dwindle back the other way? You know, I, that's why I'm very curious about as well. I mean, I've been a long proponent of there does need to be some more clarity as far as, you know, allowing student-athletes to transfer, especially if a coach gets fired or there's some other circumstance. The transfer portal and the one-time rule, I understand why it's in place because it benefits student-athlete. But, man, I really got to tell you, I'm, I am very concerned over the next couple of seasons, and I mean, Think about guys, you know, coaches who are lower D1 guys. What if they have a couple players that absolutely have killer seasons, but they aren't ready for the NBA? They're going to enter the transfer portal, and they're going to go up to Power 5, Power 6 basketball, and those coaches are going to have to reload every single year in the roster turnover, I think. It's going to be something to watch. So I will say I do think that there is going to be substantial changes to the transfer portal. I'll even say within the next two or three years, because if it does keep up at this pace, Trent, I, I do think it's going to be a problem down the line. You know, we've heard uh, there's been talk about many coaches, especially on the basketball side, that they're going to keep a lot more scholarships open. And even some coaches that have gone as far as say they're not going to recruit high school athletes, certainly at the same level that they did before. It just feels like that trickle-down effect, that's not a good thing for the college basketball game. No, it's not. And keep in mind, too, I mean, if uh, guys enter the transfer portal thinking that the grass is greener on the other side, the, the original school has no obligation to take these guys back. So if they enter the portal and they don't get the offers they want, they may not have opportunities at all, or they're going to have to move down a level or two just to be able to play ball. So like you mentioned, I think a lot of really good high school players are going to miss out on opportunities. And 
I think there's going to be no consistency across the college basketball landscape on how guys build their team. I mean, we know Fran McCaffrey's you know, thoughts on it. He obviously sees it as a big problem already, and he's a guy who did transfer in his basketball career. So I think that's something to keep in mind as well. And it, it will be interesting, again, just to see what kind of schools try to build their roster. I know that Iowa State basically doing a whole roster turnover, and I think that's okay when you're taking over a two-win team, there's a new coach there. I think there's a different set of circumstances there. But, I mean, you think about these high-level schools like Kentucky, uh, like Duke, like North Carolina, are they going to keep going after these top kids, especially since they can go the G League route, or are they going to just sit there? And I don't want to use the word poach, you know, the lower schools, but guys into the portal that average 20 points a game, I think they're going to put much more emphasis on getting those kind of guys. So I want to uh, go to an exercise. I like to do this every single summer, and I know some people, I've heard it, that think it's a exercise in futility because we don't really know, but hey, it's the summertime in this market. we got time to kill, and we're going to do it here, breaking down the 200 minutes a game for Iowa basketball. Did this earlier with Michael Swain from the your guys' Iowa State site over at 24-7. The first thing, and if you haven't done this for, before, and if you're sitting in your desk right now at work and you're listening and you say, well, I'm going to try this too. I will guarantee if you just start writing minutes down, by the time you get to the end of the exercise, you're probably going to have about 300 minutes. You always overshoot yep. it, but you only get 200. It's very difficult to do. So let's get into it. All right. Have, have you done this exercise yet this year? Let's start right I there, David. I have not, so I, I might be the guy that goes about 220 <laughs> to 240 yeah. instead of the original 200. Uh, but we can give it a shot for sure. So I started with the guy that I think is going to get the most minutes, and that is Keegan Murray. I put Keegan Murray down for 30 minutes a game. I think that's a no-doubter. And then from there, I only had three other guys get over 20 minutes a game. I had Joe Toussaint at 22. I had Jordan Bohannon at 27. Patrick McCaffrey at 24. And Philip Rubraca, four guys, at 25. So for the most part, that is kind of your starters, if you will. And that's a big compliment of the minutes going with those five guys. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's a pretty good estimation as well. I think Jordan is going to be about 27, 28, because you need, that, you need that shooting on the floor. You need Joe Toussaint, who obviously has been handed the reins of point guard. Robracha, I am curious about how many minutes he gets. I think he could get around 25 to 27. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. I think Riley Mulvey is going to average between 8 to 13 minutes next year. I, I've said this. I do think he's going to be an imme- not an immediate impact guy, but he is going to be thrown to the fire. He is going to be thrown to the wolves as I think Josh Ogundale is going to need another year of conditioning and really to refine his game before he sees significant time. So you got to look at Riley Mulvey getting that, especially I think when they go to the defensive lineup. You look at Tony Perkins, I think he's going to be a 15-17 to 17 minute a game guy. But then you got Aaron Eulis, who I think is probably the biggest wild card of the bunch. Uh, he's obviously going to be the backup point guard, but maybe they throw Jordan Bohannon back at points if they want to switch up the lineups a little bit. So, I am curious what role Aaron Euless has on this team. I do think he can see some good minutes. Um, but, again, I think he's going to be the big question mark. And another big question mark is I think I could see Chris Murray going from barely any minutes this past year. I could see him getting you know mid-double digits or so. I've heard really good things about him, especially shooting the basketball. So there's a lot of different weapons. And on top of that, we haven't even talked about Connor McCaffrey. If he comes back fully healthy, I don't think Connor's going to start. I think he's going to be a sixth man off the bench kind of that calm, steady force. Uh, but I think this is as difficult of a year to project minutes as there has been under Fran McCaffrey. It really feels that way. And when I went through the exercise, I only had, I put four minutes down each for a Gundelay for Mulvey and Sanford. But 
you can make an, an argument, as you just did with Mulvey, that those numbers are going to be into the double digits for those guys. And I wouldn't be shocked, I think, with any of those guys. You know, the one thing I called a lot of Peyton Sanford's games here at the high school level at Waukee is I do wonder, mm-hmm. the dude can shoot it. He can fill it up in a big-time way. The athleticism, though, and especially right away making that jump from the high school level to the Big Ten. I know you've seen him at AAU and grassroots events. What you think about him? Is he a guy that, if everything breaks right and he's shooting the ball well, can give Iowa a good 10, 12 minutes a game? I think it's all going to depend on one thing. Like you said, the athleticism, there's still a little bit of question marks there. I think he's got to physically continue to get ready for Big Ten basketball. It's going to come down to his defense. I think if he can prove to be a 3 and D caliber guy, I think he is the guy that is going to enter Iowa as, I mean, I would say a third best shooter because Austin Ash obviously got a scholarship <laughs> right. for returning. I'm not going to throw anybody over Austin Sniper Ash there. Uh, but Peyton Sanford, like you said, he's a tremendous shooter. I think he's going to fit very well in this Fran McCaffrey offense, especially um, just with the way that Iowa ran, you know, ran their offense last year. I think he would have fit in perfectly with that. I think it's going to all come down to defense. I do believe I think he will redshirt next year, but again, if everything breaks right and they can just need guys to be able to come in a few minutes and just shoot the ball to space the floor, yeah, I could see him, you know, playing that lower end of minutes, especially in in non-conference games or blowout conference games. I do think he's going to be a Big Ten starting caliber wing at one point, but I do think he's going to need to continue to get stronger to continue to build up that athleticism. And, again, his on-ball defense, I think, just needs to continue to get better and better. And if that happens, uh, defense is going to be able to, is what's going to be able to get you on the floor. And I think we saw that uh, with Tony Perkins' rise in minutes, especially late at the end of last season. A couple more on Iowa basketball. David Eichold joining us 24-7, sportshawkeyeinsider.com. Want to go to Tony Perkins. I love Tony Perkins. I, he's a guy that I think is easy to root for. He goes in. He works his tail off. He does the things that you want to do. Shooting, we don't know. That was certainly nothing he was described. And I spent a good, oh, I don't know what it was. It was right after the season. I want to say probably about a month ago after the, the championship game. And I spent like two hours trying to find his high school numbers. Eichel, can you help me out at all here? Because I was trying to find if he even shot it well at the high school level. And I couldn't find anything at those Indiana, Indiana sites. Yeah, so I can tell you. So remember, he was Mr. He was runner-up for Mr. Basketball uh-huh. uh, in Indiana his senior year. Lost, I believe, to Anthony Leal who is, you know, an Indiana shooting guard. But, yeah, you know, last season as a senior, he averaged 19 points, five and a half boards, four assists, and two steals. I uh, shot 58% from the field, 35% from three-point range. Okay. Uh, and, and I do believe he had a shoulder injury, which he played through, which kind of limited him, and that's why his percent dropped off late later in the year. Uh, but he's a guy who I think needs to continue to refine his, his deep game, and I think especially one more year, before he really steps into that starting shooting guard role. Again, I think that's why Jordan Bohannon moving that two-guard spot next season is going to be so huge. The other thing I'm wondering is Bohannon, his scholarship does not count against their full allotment here. Is Fran still sniffing around? Is he, I know Austin Ash, when the scholarship was awarded to him, a lot of people were freaking out. I don't think there's a whole lot of guys that were looking around and saying Iowa was the spot because it's still a team that has some depth to it, but... If the right guy came along, if the right opportunity was there, do you think Fran has completely closed the door of adding one more player to this roster? I don't think he's completely closed the door, but I don't expect it. I think, again, with offering Austin Ash the scholarship, which, again, I I think well-deserved. He he spent four years in the program. He's one of the team's best shooters. He's a good locker room presence. He can maybe fit that that Riley Till mold, remember, when he was on Mm -hmm. scholarship for a year. So if they get in foul trouble, 
at least he can get on the floor and he can just get you some fouls. He can throw up 40-footers and half of them will go in. <laughs> so at least he can space the floor there. I don't think he's closed the door on the roster completely, but I do think this is going to be the final um Final roster, and I know a lot of people have speculated about Joe Wieskamp. I still continue to believe that Joe Wieskamp has played his last game yeah. in Iowa Hawkeye uniform. Again, nothing official. That's just from what I, who I've been talking to and kind of my gut feel on that situation. But I think if the right player came along, I, I, I do think that Fran McCaffrey would at least do his due diligence to at least think about adding one more person to this roster. Well, it's a fun exercise if you're bored, and I'm sure a lot of people are bored out there. This is the time to do it. Go down and try to figure out the minutes for your favorite team. 200, that's what you have, your allotment for this basketball season. Let's uh, jump to some football here. We started there, and one thing that uh, certainly intrigued me over at Hawkeye Insider, David, was pick to click coming up this year at the running back spot, Gavin Williams. Speaking of a guy here from Central Iowa, called a lot of his games. We know Tyler Goodson is the starter, but after Mm -hmm. seeing these guys practice a couple of times, the two open practices, your thoughts on the youngster who started Southeast Polk, ended up at Dowling. Gavin Williams, what he is at the running back spot. You know, I think, first of all, he perfectly complements Goodson's game. You think about Goodson, yeah, he's put on some muscle. He's trying to turn into more of a power back than just a, you know, a shifty back out of the backfield. I really was impressed with Gavin Williams. Like you said, you called a lot of his games in high school. He always struck me as a very downhill runner. Couldn't really mm-hmm. juke out a lot of guys. Could power through people. Just, you know, a straight force in the middle. But a couple things that really impressed me about Williams in the open practice, his cutback. I mean, he, he had multiple plays where he just cut back so strong, so sharp. That's just not something I, I saw a lot of him in high school at Southeast Polk and then Dowling Catholic. He's always had quick feet, but he's never been able to, you know, change his direction uh, that quickly. But he's been able to improve upon that. And I was, again, I was very impressed with it. One of his biggest highlights was, I believe, it was the 23-yard halfback counter juked out, I believe it was Justin Jacobs, and then cut back down the field uh, for an easy touchdown. And he does have that breakaway speed, which, again, says continue to a little bit surprise me there. But I really do like Gavin Williams. I think even if I, when Ivory Kelly Martin comes back healthy, I do think that Gavin Williams emerges as that number two spot. I think his game just complements Goodson's too well. And I know Iowa really like that kind of Akram Wadley, LaShawn Daniels type hybrid. Mm-hmm. I don't think Williams gets Daniels caliber carries. But he's a guy that's going to continue to get better and better uh, the more experience he gets and the more runs he gets. Well, in order for that to happen, though, you need to have a good offensive line, another position that was really banged up here during practice. We know what they're going to get out of Tyler Linderbaum in the middle. Guys outstanding. What about the tackle spots? With all the injuries they had at offensive line, how do you see that playing out as we get ready for August camp? Yeah, I do think that Jack Plum is locked down at least one of the spots. Six foot seven, two hundred and ninety five pounder. He's gonna get up to about three oh five, they're hoping, uh, by season. I think he continued to improve. He's gotten some good game experience there. But obviously, you know, it's basically an open competition still at this point. Another guy you need to remember that they have is Cody Ince. Cody Ince missed entirety of spring ball with an injury, but he will be back uh for summer workouts in fall camp. I think he's the guy that He's been able to show versatility, play inside and out, but with Mark Kallenberger retiring, Iowa's going to need an experienced guy uh, to line up the opposite side of, of Jack Plum, and I think that Cody Ince is going to be a guy that can step in and, and be effective. But again, we really don't know wh- how they're going to be able to do uh, just with that sort of new group there, especially when they run that outside zone with Tyler Goodson. So those are a couple of guys you're going to want to keep an eye on. Another couple is Mason Richmond, who I've heard really good things about. He's going to be a big, big-time player 
in the future, whether it be at guard or at tackle. And a wild card I'll throw at you. I've been you know, driving this player home since he signed with Iowa. David Davidkoff, mm-hmm. not play much in spring whatsoever, one of the best rugby players in the nation. He's a top 60 prospect by 24-7 sport, six foot six, 295 pounds. I really think his upside as an offensive tackle is as high as anybody's on Iowa's roster. I've heard the nothing but great things about him, too. Excited. And I remember Mike Jones back in the day against Ohio State. He got his first career start, I think, 2005 as a true freshman. Wouldn't be surprised by the time maybe we get to October, November, he's out there on the field. I think he's that talented and has a chance to go. Speaking of offensive line, George Barnett, you get through the first spring practice. Schematically, you don't expect anything to change. It's Kirk Ferentz and what he wants to do. He's an offensive line coach. You don't expect many changes. Any changes, though, at all? Or is this just... Ferris's tell you what to do, you go out and coach him. I think that Barnett's going to have a little bit more freedom with the Ferris's than, than Tim Palsek had just because Barnett's resume is so just pristine. I mean, you think about 21 years coaching offensive line and, you know, just speaking with the media, we, us having a chance to talk with him, his passion for offensive line play and his knowledge and his perfect fit for Iowa, I think there's already a big, big level of trust from the Ferris's. In Barnett, not that they didn't trust Polisek, but remember, Polisek never coached offensive line before coming to Iowa. That was an entirely new position uh, for him to coach. So I, I think Barnett's resume, I think his knowledge of it and the similar connections, the experiences that he had, I, I think he's going to come in. He might do a couple little things differently, but as far as scheme-wise and, and what Iowa's going to run, I mean, Trent, you know this better than I do. Iowa's always going to be Iowa. Not much is going to change. But I do think his approach to coaching compared to Polisek has changed, and several players that have noted that as well. But, again, I think there's a high level of trust. There's a high level of respect in the room. And I have very high expectations for Barnett just from the people I've talked to and they know and just from the earlier reviews coming out of spring practice. Going to be fun. Ultimately, it comes down to one spot, and this is what I continue to maintain. I think Spencer Petras can be fine to take Iowa to an 8-4, and four, a 9-3 and three type of season. I don't mm-hmm. think there's going to be more than that. I, I don't think that's the guy that you can pull an upset in the Big Ten Championship game, that you can break down that wall and get back and win a Big Ten title for the first time since 2004. I don't know if that guy's also on the roster, but there's just something about Padilla and his, his movement and his legs that intrigues me. Am I crazy? No. I mean, I think Padilla was the most impressive quarterback in both spring practices. I know not everybody agrees with me on that. I think Spencer Petras will be the starting quarterback week one. I want to keep that in mind. I think Padilla's spring has opened, opened up some eyes, and I think, that, I think that's going to push Petras to that next level, and Trent, you know this as well as I do. With Indiana and Iowa State, Iowa's got the uh, the two toughest games stretched open a season, I think, of anybody in the country. There's not going to be much wiggle room for error. So this is a huge summer for Petrus, and like you said, Petrus is going to be the reason why Iowa goes the Big Ten title or not. Obviously, it depends on a lot of things, but on paper right now, Iowa's going to be able to go as far as Spencer Petrus can take them. David Eichel, 24-7 sports, HawkeyeInsider.com, and it's a busy month coming up in June. There'll be all kinds of recruiting going on. So is this your last chance to kind of catch your breath before June gets here? Oh, Trent, I never catch my breath. We're <laughs> always on top of stuff. You know that as well as I do. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Awesome. Well, appreciate your time as always. Good catching up with you, David. And there's your column for you, trying to figure out those Hawkeye minutes on the basketball floor. <laughs> hey, thanks, Trent. Appreciate it as always, man. Take care. David Eichel. HawkeyeInsider.com is where you can find them. Always a fun conversation with David. And thanks for joining us here today. At the uh, top page right now, HawkeyeInsider.com, 
10 Things to Know About Iowa Basketball's 2021 Recruiting Class. Good article there. And good information, as always, from the whole crew at Hawkeye Insider. Time right now for another $1,000 home run. 2-1, hit well. Way back at center field. Way back. Mm-hmm. Out of here. Just right of the 4-10 mark. Trey Mancini puts the Orioles back on top. Home run number seven. The call from Masson as the Orioles beat Boston last night. That's where we are, folks. It was a light night in baseball on the local front with our $1,000 home run. Right now, all you have to do, enter the keyword pay at KXNO.com. That's pay, P-A-Y, KXNO.com. Your chance to win $1,000 on KXNO.com. We'll talk baseball coming up. What's happening with those red-hot St. Louis Cardinals? How about the Brew Crew? Kind of pushes there. It's the time to throw dirt on my Minnesota Twins. We'll do that. Coming up with Scott Miller, national writer with Bleacher Report, as we continue here on a Tuesday, 1460 KXNO and 106.0. Oh, the Central Iowa Sports Network is your home for year-round coverage of high school athletics in the CIML and the only place to watch Des Moines Menace Soccer. Providing coverage year-round and always streaming for free on YouTube and at CISN.TV. Subscribe to CISN TV on YouTube to stay up to date on upcoming events. Like and follow on Facebook and Twitter at CISN TV or visit their website at CISN.TV. CISN TV, the home for live. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO. Welcome back. It's Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Well, we talked a lot of football, some basketball today as we look forward what the rosters are going to look like for Iowa and Iowa State. But let's go to the here and now. Light schedule last night, certainly a light schedule for us here in our outpost in the Midwest as it pertains to our local teams. But we get ready for another week of Major League Baseball. Scott Miller joins us here today. Scott, long time, no talk. How's everything? Hey, all good. Uh, Trent, how are you? Nice to be with you. Well, as it pertains to baseball, it could be a whole lot better because I'm a fan of a team that you covered for many years, the Minnesota Twins. And I'm going to be selfish, and I'm going to start right there because this team has infuriated me. And it seems like it happens every single time where I have expectations. Not that they'll be pretty good. I thought this team was going to be really good. The bullpen absolutely stinks. It is the worst bullpen in baseball. Column A has been a disaster here. And then the injuries start to pile up, too. When these kind of seasons happen, and when we sit here on May 11th talking about it, it's just it's so frustrating knowing the chances of getting back into it are really difficult when you dig this kind of hole. Yeah, it, it is. You're right. The bullpen has just been inexplicably bad. And you know, I know even uh, you know, Rocco Baldelli, one year, your manager of the year, the next year, you know, fans want your head because it seems like every time you go to the bullpen, you're making the wrong move. And, you know, it was sad. It was tough to see Byron Buxton go down because he finally was becoming the player that 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 so many people thought he was going to become. And, um, you know, now he's on the injured list. And, you know, Kenta Maeda hasn't – they just haven't 
been very good. I mean, from the rotation, Maeda's been disappointing as well as others, the bullpen. And, you know, I mean, the only thing I'd say is, is uh, you know, we, we're looking at the standings today. The Twins are seven games behind the White Sox. And, you know, it is a hole. It's not a impossible hole to dig out of. Um, the, you look in the National League and the Dodgers just – Use them as an example for the Twins, but going in the opposite direction, right? The Dodgers started 13-2 and two <laughs> and looked invincible. And then they started, you know, some base running mistakes, some bad bullpen. And you look up today, and after that 13-2 and two start, the Dodgers have lost 15 of their last 20. Jeez. And they're barely over 500. They're 18-17 and 17 after a 13-2 and two start. So I bring that up because, you know, it could flip like that for the Twins. I mean, they obviously they they've got to start putting it together, and they've got to find some consistency in the bullpen. But you know, there there is still enough time where they could go. You know, they could turn things around, go on one of those streaks where they win fifteen of twenty. But you know, you're right. The hole's there. They're seven out. They better figure it out pretty soon if they're going to go. If they're going to turn it around. You look at the top of the division, we found out right before the season, Eloy Jimenez, he's going to be out maybe till September before we see him back. Then the injury last week to Luis Robert, what he's dealing with in the off. It doesn't feel like the White Sox, with these kind of injuries, are going to be able to go out there and win 95 games. At least that's what it feels. Maybe I'm being hopeful in that front, hoping that they're not going to run away and hide. Is this going to be, though, a division where 85, 86 wins might do it? Yeah, you know, I, I think so because I, I don't see any other team, including Cleveland. And granted, Cleveland's been playing really well. They won seven of ten, but you know, you, you don't trade away Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco and and win ninety five games. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying Cleveland usually comes up with something. Their pitching is pretty good, but. Yeah, I look at the division. I thought the White Sox were the one team capable of winning ninety to ninety five. I don't think anybody else is. And now, what will the White Sox do? That as you mentioned, Jimenez out, Luis Robert. Uh, you know that that was another bad injury that you know this week or the past several days. Um, you know, I mean, they've got pitching Lucas Giolito through the no-hitter earlier in the year, but he's had some bad starts since then. But, you know, their best part is pitching Giolito, um, you know, Keiko, Lance Lynn, uh, Dylan Cease throws tonight. Uh, Michael Kopech's been off to, you know, he's been really good. So, I mean, that's the one team that I, that I think should is the clear favorite of the division. But with those injuries, um, it's hard to say if they're going to be able to to put it together to win that many games. So I, I do think odds are 85 to 90 wins will take the division instead of, you know, over 90. Just need to get the Twins one of those uh, patented, was 11-game winning streak that they had, 91, yep. need one of those. And you're right back, hit it. Mm-hmm. Let's jump over to the National League Central and the Cardinals and Brewers looking right now to be the class of this division. The Reds got off to a nice start. I don't think there's a whole lot of sustainability, but... Before we get to the Cards and the Brew Crew, I want to go to the Cubs. The sweep of the Dodgers last week, they take 2-3 or three over the weekend against Pittsburgh. A, a great, Not a great accomplishment by any way, but them hanging around. I, I think you can make an argument here because 
this roster still needs to be fixed. That ultimately, maybe this is a bad thing. If if they hang around until late July, ultimately for the future of the Cubs, that could be bad because they need to be selling off pieces. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thing that makes the Cubs as fascinating as anybody in the game, right? I mean, the core nucleus they've still got from that 2016 World Series winning team, you know, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, you know, impending free agents. And, and um, you know, especially Bryant, we've heard so much trade talk, and it's pretty certain he probably won't sign back with the Cubs. And, and so, yeah, they, they – that offensively, you know, going back to late to 2019, the year before the pandemic, this, this pandemic shortened season and last year, you know, it, it, starting in 2019, going through all last year, and in April this year, the Cubs offensively have been one of the worst teams going. Uh, finally, Chris Bryant is is seems to figure some things out. You know, he's he's uh, you know he's back hitting over 300. You know, he's hit some homers. Um, you know, he looks pretty good finally, but yeah, you're right. The Cubs, if they win, then it, it public relations wise, they're just not going to be able to trade anybody in July. There, there's going to be, you know, city of Chicago is going to demand they, they stay in it and go for it. But you're right. If, if, if they win and then say they slump in August and September and they haven't made any trades, then their future is set back. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what Jed Hoyer does. And I have to believe, I haven't talked to him this year, but I have to believe Theo Epstein in the back of his mind is there, there's a relief that he doesn't have to make some of these decisions. <laughs> there you go, Jed. You get to make these choices, and good luck with it. Right, yeah. It, it's going to be tough. So the Cardinals and Brewers are fighting up at the top of the division. Ken and I, we've been back and forth in our uh, conversations with this. I was in the Cardinals from the get-go. He was on the Brewers. I think ultimately that's what it's going to be, a two-team division. So who do you like more over the course of 162, Milwaukee or St. Louis? Yeah, it's, you know, I and I have to say I was, uh, like Ken, I was on the Brewers early. Um, you know, now the last couple of weeks, all of a sudden it's like, ah, maybe I jumped too soon on the Brewers bandwagon because the Cardinals are getting things squared away, and they've won 8 out of 10. Um, you know, Jack Flaherty's having a really good year for St. Louis so far. And this is the Jack Flaherty that they've been waiting for in St. Louis. You know, I mean, a couple of years ago, he showed flashes enough that people thought this guy is going to be a Cy Young Award winner. And last year, he didn't have a good year. But it's hard to judge players on last year because, you know, not just that it was only 60 games, but really – I mean, that pandemic, especially last year when we were all in the deep into it, I mean, it affected everybody. You know, I mean, different players uh, mentally maybe had a bet. You know, I mean, I'm not I, – I think you have to grade on the curve for last year some, some performances because, you know, I mean, spring training was interrupted and then guys were training on their own and who knows, you know, which players trained better than others on their own and who knows which players were more psychologically affected. Uh, by the shutdown last year, and but whatever that was going on, Jack Flaherty's back and he's back strong. And you know, a wild card for me, and it's been this way the past few years, is Carlos Martinez. He finally had a good start last last week, um, but he his first few this year were clunkers. And 
Carlos Martinez, one of those guys, Cardinals have thought for three years is going to be a really good starting pitcher, and they cannot get consistency out of him. But, you know, you add Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, um, you know, Dylan Carlson out in the outfield, If he's a big key because he's one of the top prospects in the game, and you just don't know how fast he's going to come along. And, you know, will he establish himself as this summer goes as, as, as a consistent force, or will he have his ups and downs? And, you know, so the Cardinals, that's why it's so tough to predict. You know, Cardinals look good. Brewers pitching, of course. Um, you know, the bullpen with Hayter and yeah. Williams and, uh, um, you know, Burns went on the IL. That was another thing. Burns, what, struck out 40-plus with no walks, and uh, he was dominant. We're talking about, you know, Cy Young conversation already with Jacob DeGrom, and then all of a sudden the Brewers put him on the IL, so – you know, what's going on there? If you, With him out, they're a different rotation. There's no doubt. Um, I, I agree. Long answer short, Brewers, Cardinals, I think it, it's a two-team race in the Central. I don't think the Cubs are going to have enough to hang in there, but who knows? That's why they play the games, as they say, and the Cubs' bullpen has been surprisingly good, unlike some other bullpens. So, you know, but I, I think Brewers and Cardinals, and I, the Brewers – I really respect that organization. I don't think they're going anywhere. I'm right there with you. Going to be a fun race, I think, in the NL Central. So I'm just perusing some team stats, something I don't do very often. I Old habits die hard. I still like to look at the columns, though I don't get it in the newspaper anymore. League leaders yep. in each and start with batting average and you move way, way down. But I, I stumbled upon the team. The Red Sox right now have the best batting average in baseball at 264. I get it. It's an old stat. I'm in my 40s now. Nobody cares about that batting average kind and just shut up. I, I understand it, but 260, I care, Trent. I, 264 is the league leader. Right now, you go back to 1968 when they, they changed the mound. It was about the 240 number. You only got 10 teams in all of baseball that are hitting over 240. Yeah, it's bad right now. There's no getting around it. And, I mean, the, the, the batting average, the game's batting average the league batting average for the month of august uh i think it was like 233 is the worst uh ever in april on base percentage is the worst since 1972 um no question pitchers are dominating right now and i get it training is different the game's different remember that we used to hear that phrase uh for pitchers you know the guys who could really add and subtract Mm mm-hmm that used to be a thing in the game. And that meant, you know, guys like Greg Maddox, you, you, you don't come out of – starters didn't come out throwing as hard as they can every pitch. You know, they, they, they you know, the guy might throw a fastball at 90, and then in certain game, key situations he'd add to the fastball. He'd hump it up to 92 or 93. You know, then maybe in other situations he'd subtract from the fastball, throw one at 88. You know, it used to be all about changing speeds. Um, now it's just a power game. You know, just whoever the starter is, whoever the relievers are, come in, throw as hard as you can, as long as you can. And um, I don't know. You know, I think where the hitting's concerned, I, I understand it's more difficult now because, again, you look back at some of the key things, like Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. You know, I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but – he didn't face that many pitchers because back then the starting pitchers went most of the game. So he may only face two pitchers a game. 
I'm not diminishing that, by the way. I don't care if you face one pitcher game, 56 hits a game, hitting streak is still awesome. But the point is today, when you're a hitter, you know, you're facing sometimes a different arm every time you go to the plate. You know, you're facing four or five hitters. So it, I mean, four or five pitchers. So it's really difficult to hit. I get that. That said, I, I think there's a big problem in the game. I don't think they're teaching the right things. I mean, the analytics is brought in, hit over the shift, hit hit the long ball. You know, we don't care if you strike out. Basically, strike out or home run. I think that's lessened the game because it's taken so much strategy away. Hit and runs, things like that are, are like dinosaurs now. So without going on a two-hour discussion, which <laughs> we could devote, I'm sure, a whole week to this yeah. topic, um, I, I think baseball is going to have to – find its soul again and it's going to have to rethink the way it's teaching the game because it's it's the games are going so long there's so much dead time i cringe when pitchers step off the mound and pull the index card out of their cap to try to think read the scouting report on how to pitch this next hitter um you know it's like the players have become just video game players and the front offices are using the joysticks during the game to just move these guys around and it's lost a lot of its soul and i think you know hitting wise i mean you there's so many situations where guys could just put the bat on the ball and take advantage of the shift hit it the other way but they're not being taught that and i think the way the game is being taught is not good right now and i think it's not bringing enough as much out of these great players as could be brought out of them. And like I said, we could go on a week. I'll, 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 I'll leave it there. You probably got to get the break or something. <laughs> it's true. You, you know it well, Scott. Hey, appreciate your time, though, as always. Good catching up with you and good talking baseball. Hopefully you can send some of that uh, nice San Diego weather our way pretty soon. How about that? I'll work on that. Summer's late everywhere from what I hear. <laughs> that it is. Thanks, Scott. All right, bye-bye. Scott Miller joining us here as we talk the world of baseball. Always great catching up with him. He's been on all kinds of beats. He was with the Twins for the Pioneer Press for a long time, been on the national scene, really good baseball mind, and he's right. That could be a conversation, baseball, how to fix it, moving back the mound, bigger bases, that's been something, and the shift, just having, you can only have one foot in the outfield grass. You can only have two guys on each side of the infield, no more Five-man infields. No more short right field with the second baseman. All those different things that can be done, ultimately, pick up the pace. That's the biggest thing for me. Go back and watch. Flip on ESPN Classic and watch one of the games from the 70s or even the 80s and how different the pace was of the game. And yeah, there'd be pauses and there'd be breaks, but it wouldn't be the consistent level that you see in today's baseball. I don't think you're ever going to get back to the crisp two-hour game that you had before, get the thing closer to two hours, 45 minutes, it's going to be a good thing. I think a good thing and trying to get fans involved, getting people to watch the game, it's ultimately what you're working for. Final timeout, we'll come back. Play of the day coming your way next year. 1460 KXNO and 106.3. It's Miller and Conan. We're back Gold Sports. Big names are headlining UFC 262. And DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a heavyweight offer for this weekend's fight with 100 to 1 odds. Just pick the main event fighter you think will win 
and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100 to 1 odds on that fighter. That's right. Bet $1 on selected fighters, and if they win, you win. $100. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code KXNO when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on a main card fighter to win. That's code KXNO for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Iowa only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800- The extra bread in your wallet. Now far flank for Heckenweibel with a header. And it gets past Camacho. What a goal by Ankeny Centennial. There's our play of the day presented by CISN-TV. The call last week from Hunter Phillips. And the call in the two-goal lead after that one went on to a 3-0 victory for Ankeny Centennial. Scheduled this week on CISN. Lots of soccer action. It starts tonight both girls and boys out on the pitch. On the boys' side, it'll be Valley at Southeast Polk. Johnston at Waukee on the girls' side this evening. 7.30 start for both of those matchups. And then on Friday, it'll be Southeast Polk at Waukee back on the boys' side, followed by the Saturday matchup as Des Moines Menace will be in town at Valley Stadium. 7 o'clock as Green Bay comes in for that one. Play of the day brought to you by CISN. Find all the games Streaming live at CISN.TV on YouTube or on their Facebook page. As we get out of here today, let's give you my play of the day. And I got one for you. It's an old adage. Guy coming off a no-hitter, you got to go that route, and I'm going to do it again. Sorry, John Means. I'm going to take that crappy Mets offense and lay minus 140. Don't like that price. Going to do it, though. Done it for years. Go against the guy. His first start back off a no-hitter. That does it for today. We got Murphy and Andy coming your way at 1 o'clock. The Fanatics at 3. Tomorrow morning, it gets started with the morning rush. This is